Welcome to another episode of Language for Liberation. This is your host, Bakari Ibrahim, a.k.a. OG Baka, a.k.a. the Hair Naughty God Body. And I'm back with my co-host, the uh, illustrious philosopher uh, with a big day ahead of him, <laughs> uh, Mr. Barrett Holmes Pittner. So how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. Like you said, I got a, I got a big day ahead of me. A lot of stuff to do. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Care to tell our audience why what what today is big for? What why? Oh, let's do it. Yeah. So today is the thirty first Saturday, and we have our altars festival. Day one is today, so we have uh, two of our artists and a couple of our, our collaborators will be talking about their altars. And this is this is a really, you know, it's weird to say it's a really big day uh, because. A lot of the work of the Sustainable Culture Lab is to show, is to create culture together. Like if we agree that we live in a place that's ethnocidal, that like destroys culture and keeps the people, then we live in a place that normalizes the destruction of culture. So to counter that, you have to start experimenting. You know, we're a laboratory of ways of like creating culture. So like ancestor remembrance traditions are always been a way to create and sustain culture. So if we can get it in the U.S. where people that aren't Mexican-American, that aren't, you know, doing Dia de los Muertos, but they feel that the, it, the time window that is Dia de los Muertos, they can remember their culture and their ancestors and, and keep their culture alive and share it with other Americans and do it in a way that appreciates and not appropriates culture. Well, now we're making a pretty significant cultural shift that we can build upon year after year because this is just on the calendar every single year so this is our first year of doing this cross-cultural um experiment to hopefully like make people's lives better and so that's today <laughs> well very cool well um you know it's been exciting to you know participate in the altars project and you know just see it grow into what has become this first year and, you know, I'm excited to participate. I'm excited to, you know, check out the artists that are involved. Um, and like we spoke on before the call um, or before the podcast recording, uh, you know, it's been interesting to go through the emotions and consider this year and things that have been going on in loved ones and ancestry as we've participated in the project. And so, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, doing it again next year. And, you know, having others participate and definitely checking out the festival later on today. Um, but, you know, something else about uh, the Altus Project is that, you know, it's a new idea. It's a new take on, um, you know, Dia de los Muertos and expanding, you know, our philosophy around it, uh, which lends it to our word today, which is yeah. our uh, which means uh, new and unusual or new, unusual and experimental ideas. Yep. So uh, why this word this week? Why avant-garde? So, so first I thought about avant-garde because of like the traditional definition that we use, which is, you know, cutting edge stuff is avant-garde. You know, a complete new type of art is, is avant-garde. And, you know, I, I, I felt the, the ancestor remembrance practice is not new. That's without a doubt not new. But 
doing it in the U.S. cross-culturally is definitely new. There's no denial about that. Just the amount of conversations I've had to have with people where they couldn't even conceive that this was like a thing that you could even do is indicative of how new it is. There was there is a, a very obvious lack of confidence in the ability to partake in Dilos Muertos without appropriating culture. And like when I say like this part sounds strange, but you know, if you don't have a cultural tradition like Dilos Muertos, what people want th- thought was the appropriate thing to do was to dress your house house up as if it was Dia de los Muertos to participate, even if you weren't Mexican American. And then they would they would do that, and then they they get accusations of cultural appropriation. And it's like, well, I can see that I can see how that would happen. So the response I would give people is, no, you don't dress up like a Mexican person to talk about your own ancestors. You would dress your house up how your culture would do it, and then you talk about your ancestors. And a lot of people just hadn't even thought of that being an option. And so that definitely was, you know, um, avant-garde in, in, a, in like a, by definition. Yeah. So I really, I, that's where I first started thinking about it. But then, you know, since we focus on language a lot here, I went and looked at the word even more and I studied French. And so like avant means uh ahead and before which is like weird to wrap your brain around in english um you when you think about the words ahead and before you can see that they have overlap but we use them completely differently in english you know but they don't they don't do that in french because it's one word and so like the avant-garde and guard means to keep like keep or protect um the avant-garde was like the advanced military troops who would go out before the the larger military so that they could see what's ahead you know or you could say that they were the advanced guard but and at advance is also avant and so when i when i looked at like the the nuances of the word avant i then it really connected with with the the altars project even more because we're looking at what came before us to shape what's ahead of us, um, and I just thought that that was really significant. And so, and um, and yeah, it's it it's just and with the what one of the ways that we're doing the altars project is I, I recognize that when I would articulate the, this concept to people, even if they liked it, they wouldn't believe that it was a thing you could do. You, they, you had to like show it to them. They had to see it to believe that it was real. And so that's why having these artists come in and make altars and seeing how different these altars can be to show people that you can make a very genuine, authentic altar that is indicative of your culture without having any pressure or need to feel that you have to appropriate from somebody else's culture to talk about your own. Um, And so bringing in the artists to make the altars was key. And that makes the importance of the word avant-garde 
even greater because it's it's art like arts in the mix it's a necessity for the project and so yeah yeah. you know um thank you for that because you actually touched on like two ways in which i was thinking about uh the word today um you know when i think of avant-garde and you know what you said what came before shapes what's ahead of us and the way that we're looking back at our ancestry and looking back at our um you know, our progress and saying, you know, what can we learn from and then what can we implement and improve and refine to get us forward? I feel like in every aspect of our lives, we do that, whether it's from whether we're looking at like our parents and, you know, how we were raised to how we've seen others do their jobs to how they accomplish others uh, doing their work. Uh, the other side I think about this uh, that you touched on is um, the role of artist and how much artists uh, take the context of our time, um, but also are the advanced guard of helping us see ahead, or even creatives in general. Uh, I even think about business people or people that create new technology and how they must you know, stand out from the rest to have an idea, refine their idea, and then, um, you know, actually move society greater forward. So I guess what I'm asking you is like, similar to the word avant, uh, there's this aspect of looking back and moving forward, this balance. And I guess um, how much, explains in English, we think of them as opposites, before and after, avant. Mm -hmm. So, Talk to me more about how it can be one word and like the balance between this before and after with yes. Avant. So like when I when I think about it, it's like Avant in time is before, you know, like with relation to time it's before, but in relation to vision, it's ahead, you know? So, so like you're going before in time. Like they're leaving the advance guard, the avant-garde. They're going before in time so that they can see ahead in vision. And, and so it's, it's when you kind of create a distinction between time. It's this, now this is going to sound like super spacey, but when you create a distinction between time and place, you know, like right. if, if, if you're focusing on time, then you're focusing on before or after. But if you're focusing on like where you are at a particular time, that's your vision. That's what you're seeing. And so, you know, it's, 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 let's see, it's kind of like, I always make sports analogies because sports are just like really simple analogies, but, and I like soccer a lot and soccer is all about how you efficiently use space. And so the people that the players that have great anticipation, like mm-hmm. they are some of the best players because they, they see something, <laughs> you know, they, they see something before they're standing in a place and their vision allows them to see that something's going to happen just like a fraction of a second before somebody else sees it. So now they move before and then they get the ball. Mm-hmm. And so it's all like a combination, like, I see something, I have an advanced vision. Now I move before somebody before somebody else moves, and now I have the ball. And so avant in this regard, it's like, you know, 
when it's relation to time, it's before. When it's relation to vision, it's advanced. Yeah. And so, like, when I when I think of ancestor remembrance, it's a really kind of it's a it's a simple idea that we overlook a lot. But you can't. It's hard to know where you're going to go if you don't know where you've been. Exactly. And it's it's a really like the example that popped to my mind while we were talking is I was tutoring a kid uh, in English earlier this week and he usually didn't make that good of grades, but now he's making good grades. And I was talking to his mom and I was like, yeah, his whole family is filled with smart people. He should be a smart person. He is a smart person. He should make good grades. Everyone around him makes good, has made good grades. He should make good grades. Real simple, you know? And just saying it, it's like, yeah, that's right. It's like, of course it's right. Like, this is this is where he's from. Yeah. He should he should do this. That's you know, like if if the child was smart, but nobody else in his family like had made good grades. Well, now we're having we have to have a different conversation about how to like talk to the parent to do this to make sure this kid does a good job. But like in this situation, it's like everyone around him makes good grades and they're they're smart. So we should just interact with this child at a standard where we expect him to produce at the capability that we know he's capable of producing. But like, I can only have that conversation because I know what came before this kid. Yeah. You know, and that, and now that shapes like how I interact with this kid and what this kid should expect from himself in the future. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, like that's, that's, that's a simple way I guess that's the key distinction. You have to make the distinction between time and place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what's interesting, that that whole, uh, what you just said made me think of the word context and just the importance of context in all aspects of this. I, I think I would surmise that as context. Yeah. And again, tying it back to the artists and creatives, you know, because I also thought like, you know, the artists and the creatives are those that create our, our society's avant-garde. Mm-hmm. They're, they're those that carry um, the context that have looked at, they looked at the context, they looked at what's come before in many different ways and found something new to improve on or found something, a new space or lane and then like advanced it. Right. Um, and so I think, I think that's very cool. So thinking about context, um, I want to take things all the way back. Like we always do to like the ethnocidal aspect of things Yeah. <laughs> and the lack of context, you know, and think about now that we've talked about, um, ancestral remembrance, you know, where are we without this practice or where have we been without this practice and where does like lack of context lack of creativity, lack of those that avant-garde leave us? Like, what is the world devoid of that to you? Oh, well, yeah, the world devoid. Like, we make a lot of dystopian fiction over here about, (laughs) and, like, the dystopian fiction that America produces, it's weird to say, but it's always a depiction of what could happen in the future if we keep on doing what we're doing, you know? (laughs) Right. Like, like it's always that if you know, it's always some giant company that pollutes and doesn't care about mankind ends up dominating the world. And now 
like the air is so dirty that people can't breathe and like the plants don't grow and you know all sorts of stuff and it's like some some guy that controls all of it and he is like part cyborg because he has technology that makes him live for 150 years or something you know like all of the all of the stuff that we articulate as a, the horrible future is just a continuation of what we do and that's just like i'm not making these movies like we're like, our society is making them um and so i guess what i'd say is like it's that it if it, it's and you have to have you know that goes back to context where if you understand that this movie or the, this idea of a dystopia is not if society starts doing something completely different than what it's doing, yeah. it's if society continues to do what it's doing. Right. Uh, and, and if you think, you know, if you look at the U S you know, it, it's a, the U S is a very weird place because we'll do a lot of really bad things. And the rebuttal is always that America has great people. And it's like, yeah, but that has nothing to do with whether America is or isn't a good place. Like if I, if, if, if Bakari and I say we're driving down the street and we, we get a ticket for, you know, for a broken taillight and now Bakari and I are in jail and we're in jail and we, we don't know when we're going to get out. The fact that two good people are in jail doesn't mean that jail is now a good place, you know? Right. Like, that's just not how it works. So I, I guess when you create a society that's based around consumption and the destruction of culture, you know, we'll come up with a, a narrative to try to justify that. But at the end of the day, like, we acknowledge that we have a society with a bunch of people that want to do good things but we're not really sure if the society itself is actually good. Uh, and we, we refer to people that live here as consumers quite a bit. We don't talk about people as being cultivators or creators. It's not that like people that live here actually put good things in society. We describe them as people that just consume stuff and that's, that's detrimental. And so so yeah, when we we have a, a society that devalues um, existence in many ways, you the those practices that people have needed throughout history to sustain their existence, to sustain their culture, to have like a, a more fulfilling life, those become really foreign ideas. Those become yeah. things that we that we don't feel comfortable doing. That or counter we feel that they're counterproductive or or even if we try to do them we we're not sure how we can do it without destroying it that's the whole conversation about cultural appropriation where there's lots of people in america that want to do something good and want to want to celebrate mexican people want to celebrate day of the dead want to remember their ancestors and they just genuinely don't have a clue how they could do it without destroying somebody else's culture and that's clearly a byproduct of living in an ethnocidal space where you're more comfortable knowing how to destroy things and you kind of are lost for words or ideas about how to do something that doesn't require the destruction of something else. Yeah. It's a big problem. Another, another side of how I'm looking at that and um, 
I guess to give to give some part of the greater society like benefit of the doubt is that when you make the movie analogy, I thought of how, or when we look at dystopian novels or dystopian stories and we look at how this is where we're going or this is an extremity of where we are now. I think of like The Purge and people would say like, oh, this would never happen. But now like you watch, like you see some of the rhetoric that comes out in debates and you're like, well, I could see how like 20 years from now, if we exploit this, we could get there. But at, it's, it's posed to us in a way that's positive. And it's, it's made the society, the greatest society is made to believe it. And so going back to the context analogy, it's like we don't have enough, con- we're taught that things are good or certain bad things, bad things are good, ethnocidal things are good. And we don't have the context to know that they're bad. Right. The context to know that they're against society. And so we have folks, I think of, you know, with capitalism, you know, the greater society, all we know is to move within the cog, to, to move within society of labor and to, to move yourself up and to keep others under you in, in order to chug that along. And as much as we love the places that it gets us, as, love, as much as we love the monetary gain, uh, there are people in places, in places that get left behind. But yet the good that we vision of it, we don't have a con- the greater context isn't given to most of us to understand that. Um, so that's, and just that's another side. And, of and that's why avant-garde is so important. Like you need something to come into this space that's completely changes the dynamic because like that's, that's just key. Like Europeans came up with these with the idea of avant-garde to change the dynamic of art at the time. Like we have to get out of the cycle that we're in. We have to change it up. Like the U.S. is the same thing. You know, it's it's a bigger ship to move. We're talking three hundred some odd million people in a country the size of a continent, essentially. That's you know, it's harder. It's you know, it's a bigger ship to turn than say France or you know the Netherlands, which is like Netherlands, like the size of Maine, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's a bigger task, but I'd say to like connect it back to art, you know, like I, like I'm working on a book right now and I finished the first draft of it and it's about 400 pages. It's a big book. I hope a lot of people read that this big book when it comes out and they really, really like it, but there's a good chance that they're going to be able to see a piece of art that will be an artistic manifestation of an idea in the book. And they'll be able to like connect with that real quick. They won't have to read hundreds of pages. Right. Hopefully that piece of art will empower them to really want to read 400 pages. Um, But like art is that first gateway and like a big, like if you go to Europe all the Renaissance cities that people celebrate, like these cities were built with the, de- with the desire to make the people that lived in it wiser and, you know, more beautiful, good people. And to do that, they put art all over the place. They put, they made it so that when you walk down the street, you're getting, getting inundated with imagery and stuff that will incline you to be a wiser person. And we still love those cities today. And that's, you know, that's the, that shows that how, how impactful art can be because, you know, you can't, you, books are great. Don't get me wrong, but 
they're not going to have that initial emotional connection that a, a work of art can. And so that's why collaborating with artists on this project is really, really important because I can talk for a while about the philosophical and historical significance and the linguistic significance of ancestor remembrance traditions. Um, and I hope people like that, but showing somebody an altar and having them go, Oh, I can make that. Oh, I didn't, I didn't thought about that. I you know, it's different. And it, but, and they're both, you know, equally essential to make change. You know, um, a quote that I just wrote here or something I just thought of as you were speaking um, and thinking about the artist and its role is, you know, art is truth in its most natural state in that, um, you know, the artist is to give an idea of context and to, to essentially push a truth onto an audience that they can interpret and understand that it's most natural. Like they can't define it in a way that's um, a way, but visual or musical or some um, interpretation. Um, and much to your point, you could write articles, you could tell someone about it, but it's really the fact that, oh, I see it, I visualize it, I've taken that context of myself and applied it to what I see, and now I am changed, I have a new practice behind it. And I think that's why, going back to the importance of the avant-garde, the word is that we look for art in people to make those changes to advance society in the way that we want it to go. And that is rooted in um, art and creativity and those folks that can see ahead because they have the context of what came before. 100%. And that's it. That, and that's what we're doing, avant-garde. And so, so yeah, so everyone, please, you know, uh, <laughs> this podcast will, will come out after today. But, uh, you know, come to our, our festival. It's this weekend. It's from October 31st, November 2nd. It's at 4 p.m., you know, go to our website. There are the links, Facebook links, all this stuff. Awesome. Well, I'm uh, really excited to check it out. Um, I think this conversation is like the great context to going into it. So excited to celebrate um, the rest of today. Um, thank you for listening to Language for Liberation. Uh, today's word has been avant-garde, which means ahead and before uh, in new, new, unusual and experimental ideas. Uh, with that, we'll check you out next time. Yep. Thanks for listening. Peace.